Today's message is entitled, The End of America. The End of America. What I'm going to share with you briefly today, I'll expand in depth tomorrow on the Monday broadcast of Pilgrim's Progress. But I want to set the base for you today. Dr. Michael Savage hosts a radio broadcast here in the Washington metro area on WMAL. He's Jewish. Sometimes he says he's agnostic and other times he says he's not. He's off the wall as only a wonderful Jewish man can be. He plays silly music and deals with topics that astound me that anyone would even listen. And then he comes like a knife cutting through to the very heart. This Jewish man this last week said... If there is not a wave of enthusiasm among Christians and a rebuilding of their faith, America and the West will collapse in destruction. Even though he's Jewish, He is saying America was founded as a Christian nation and that it cannot survive if Christianity is destroyed in America, then America is also destroyed. And he said the same goes for all of Western Europe. Western culture is on the edge of utter destruction. Because Christianity is dying in the West. I was shocked by his words. He quoted a playwright who spoke about what happens when a man stops believing in Jesus. Does that mean he starts believing in something else? And the answer was no. It means he'll believe in anything. And if a man believes in anything, he doesn't believe in anything. And there is no differentiation then between truth and a lie. For anything is okay to believe. And so any behavior is also approved. And so we live in America where the insanity says that if a boy feels like he's a girl, he can go and use the women's restroom just based on his feelings. 
That's insane. And yet anyone who would stand opposed to that is scorned in the American culture. We're told that Christians can't pray in school, but they'll provide Muslim prayer rooms. We're told by our president that the Muslims were very instrumental in founding America. They were only instrumental in founding America because their attacks against our ships caused us to build a navy to defeat the Muslims. Lies are pouring out on every side. And we have to make decisions. It is obvious there must be a great resurgence of the Christian gospel in America. That's going to require a resurgence of the gospel in my heart. There is no resurgence of Christianity if it's not found first in my heart and your heart. Christianity is not a political system. It's not a constitution that we live under. It's about a man by the name of Jesus Christ who claims the right to own us. Who claims the right to rescue us from the power of darkness and bring us out into the light. This Jesus, if he is not who he says he is, is a liar and not a good man. He says he is God. Now, either he's God or he is not. All the evidence I find in Scripture is that he is God. So we don't serve a political system. We don't serve an ideology. We serve a man. His name is Jesus. The scriptures tell us he was the creator of all things that are created. That he is the one who sustains them by his mighty right hand. That Jesus claims the right to be served and worshipped. I was waiting on an appointment this last week at a Starbucks. And there was a couple that had just gotten up from the table and they left a mess on the table and I kind of said in my heart, you know, why don't you clean up after yourself? And then I threw it off and I said, never mind, I'll go get something and I'll clean it up. And here she comes back with a cloth and she cleans the table. And she looks at me so sweetly and she says to me, do you know Jesus? I immediately repented in my heart. And I said, yes, I know Jesus. And she just lit up like a Christmas tree. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Yes, come on, sit down. And her husband shyly came and sat down. 
And he said, she embarrasses me this way every day. I said, do you ask everybody if they love Jesus? Yes, I ask everybody. This precious woman, 81 years of age, in beautiful health, full of the Spirit of God, no shyness in her heart. And we talked together about Jesus. And then she asked where I went to church. And I told her the National Prayer Chapel. She said, where is that? I told her. And she said, all saints. I go to Emmanuel's. I said, well, we rent through Emmanuel's. You mean you know my pastor? Yes. And then we had homecoming time. I said to her, I thought you Anglicans didn't believe in evangelism. She said, oh, I just believe in Jesus. And my heart was warmed. It's going to take a very bold coming to Jesus and a transformation of our hearts if there is going to be revival in America. It's not going to just happen. Revival always comes in response to two things. One, a great need. And two, some humble people who will pray. Who will recognize their need. And who will begin to cry out. And I immediately thought of Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. It's found in Mark, the 10th chapter. I'll begin with verse 46. This is Jesus' last journey as he makes his way toward Jerusalem, coming soon to the crucifixion. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. In the Greek, it's literally, he began to shout and scream. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know what Jesus' favorite name was? Son of man. Son of David. So he just started calling Jesus by his favorite name. How did he know this was Jesus, son of David? 
It was Jesus from Nazareth, I thought. No, he'd heard the rumors. I suspect he had sat beside that road begging for a long time, many, many years. And as he sat there begging, he picked up word about a man by the name of Jesus who could heal the sick and raise the dead and give blind eyes the power to see. And in his heart, there began to grow a flame of fire saying, I wish Jesus would come this way. And one day, he heard the crowds coming. And he said, what's going on? Now, he could have said in his heart, wow, there's a crowd coming. I'm going to make some money today. No, he heard it was Jesus. He didn't want money. He wanted his sight restored. He wanted to see. He was single-minded. He knew what he needed. He needed to be able to see. Now we have to question. Who was blind? Was it Bartimaeus who was truly blind or was it the great crowd that was following Jesus that was blind? And it's very clear, Bartimaeus was not the blind man. It was the crowd that was the blind man. They thought they could see. And they watched what Jesus did. But they were blind. Because they did not need anything from Jesus. They were content to watch the entertainment of the day. They were happy to watch sick people healed. They were happy to hear the gracious words coming from his mouth. But they weren't blind. They didn't need anything. But they were blind. They saw a man in a dusty robe walking down the road with his disciples. That's what they saw. They did not see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on his throne being carried down that road. They didn't see a king. They saw a poor rabbi who could heal the sick. They were blind. They could not see the fault of their heart. They could not see their sin. They were fine, upstanding Jewish people. They had no vision of their true condition before God. And so they could go and watch and then go home to dinner and talk about what they saw that day. And that's exactly what they did. They saw Jesus. Luke says, go to the house of Zacchaeus, a sinner. 
So everybody that night was talking about how Jesus went to the house of a sinner and ate with them. They were gossiping. They had no sense of their own desperate need. They didn't need anything except something to entertain them as they went home to their houses and gossiped about what had happened that day. They didn't know they were blind. I tell you, I've walked like this for many years. Blind while thinking I could see. And what I see happening in America, what I see in the wickedness of our culture, what I see in the wickedness that surrounds us and is ever trying to invade our hearts with bitterness and anger and judgments. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Lest I think I can see and I'm blind. Now there's a theology that is intended to keep us in this condition. And I'm going to deal with it again on the radio tomorrow. But I must tell you today, I am at an utter loss. I've sat with some of you and talked about this. There is a stone of deceit a stone of deception that is so great that has been placed in the American consciousness that I don't see any way to break it. I illustrate it by sharing with you that Friday evening my neighbor, who also works as a pastor, came to our time of study and fellowship His name is Warren. As I tried to deal with some of these issues, and I began to ask the entire group, is is there any area of, of your life where you are not walking in the forgiveness of God? And I was sharing that we don't owe for, that God does not owe us forgiveness. That forgiveness is always a gift. That we deserve death. He doesn't owe us life. That it's out of his glorious mercy and love and kindness that he extends to us the gift of forgiveness. And that forgiveness does not come quickly. Forgiveness may take several years. Because until we are willing to humble ourselves before God, until we are willing to acknowledge the true depth of our guilt, 
the forgiveness is not given to us. That we cannot casually walk up to Jesus and say, oh, thank you very much. I'll take that and I'll take that and give me a little forgiveness on this over here. No, Jesus doesn't hand out forgiveness like candy. Forgiveness is granted when there is restitution. When there is humility of heart. Where there's a recognition of how my actions or my words have injured you. I shared this and then I said, is there, is there anyone here tonight who is walking in, a, in an acknowledgement that there are still areas where you have not received the full forgiveness of God because you've not yet humbled your heart before him? And you've not acknowledged the depth of your offense against a holy God. His response was most telling. His response was, I know I am saved and I am on my way to heaven. But yes, there are many areas where I know I'm not right with God. I just let it float right on by. I wasn't going to get into it. But this is the lie that has captured even our hearts. And that is a certainty in our heart that we are okay, that we are on the way to heaven, that Jesus loves us unconditionally. He does not love us unconditionally. If he did, he would not have prepared hell for those who violate his word. Jesus is not the judge today. Today he is the intercessor and the lover of our hearts. Jesus is not against us today. But a day is coming on the day of judgment if we have not received his full forgiveness and if we have not turned from our sin. The day is coming when he will set himself against us in judgment. All judgment will be in the hands of Jesus. That's what the word says. Jesus will be our judge on that day. And if we have not received the righteous gift of his likeness, the word says, if you're lukewarm, he will vomit you out of his mouth. That sounds to me like a pretty pretty strong judgment. There is this wicked belief in America and in our hearts because we are Americans. We think we are entitled. We think it's owed to us. We think we have the opportunities to prosper and gain for ourselves what we desire. And in this wickedness, we don't need anything. And because we don't sense any need, we're like the blind crowd following after Jesus. 
Why should we cry out? We've got it made. After all, I'm doing the best I can do. What's God expect except me to do my best? The best will not do it. This is a work that Jesus Christ must do in our hearts. And if we don't sense our need of him, he will not do it. You cannot make yourself righteous any more than you can forgive yourself. This is a work that God does in us. But if there's no sense of need, there will be no work done. God has dealt with me more severely over one area than any other area. He has disciplined me in the most painful ways. I was raised in a family that was very poor. My brothers, Roger and Don, both made childhood vows that they were going to make money and that they were not going to live poor. Both of them had a goal of retiring at age 50 with a million dollars. They talked about it constantly. They were very angry that dad gave 50% of the little bit he made to Jesus. And frankly, it meant that our family did not live the American dream. It meant I had maybe two pair of pants in my closet, one I wore, and the next one, well, if I went through both pairs in a week, I was in trouble. You wore one pair of pants all week, and if you messed them up, you were in deep trouble. I won't describe all the rest, but you'll understand when I say we had one towel for the family. And because I was the smallest and the youngest, I got my bath last. And the towel was uh, wrung out to dry me. There was one cup we used as a common family cup. My brother said, we will not live this way. We will make money. Well, I vowed I'm going to be a pastor. And I'm going to be a great pastor. And I'm going to do great things for God. And I'm going to be successful as a pastor. And every opportunity I had to progress and succeed, I grabbed like a sinking man. And that meant by the time I was 25 and 26, I was already at the top of the pile, being invited to speak in venues of three and 4,000 at a time. And everybody was astonished at this precocious young pastor who was coming on so strong. My, my bishop said, Ray, I can't let you go and speak anymore because you're out of your pulpit preaching more 
than all the rest of the men in the whole state of Pennsylvania where I started my ministry. I began workshops hosting between 100 and 150 pastors for a week in a resort setting to do workshops for them. Cash was flowing. I could drive my Mercedes. I was succeeding. My dream was being fulfilled. And I boldly said that by the time I'm 40 years of age, I'll be the bishop of a conference. And I'll do my greatest and best work during my 40s. Late in my 30s, the Lord stepped in and put a bad spirit between me and that denomination. And I fired the bishop. And I became independent and started an independent church. The first year, we were over 300 people. The success was now being repeated. Crowds were coming. Television on Channel 7. Five-day-a-week radio. We were called the Rock and Roll Church. Seeker-sensitive. Robert Schuller style. And the Holy Spirit came to me. And he said, this is your church. Not mine. And if you want to follow me, close it. And that began a seven-year journey in the desert where everything I had was stripped. Two houses, two cars, retirement, all the money and savings, everything was taken because I suddenly was brought face to face by the Holy Spirit with my desperate need to know Jesus. As Jan came into my life and walked those seven years of bitterness and then the founding of the National Prayer Chapel and more years of bitterness that still continue I've come to a point of recognizing the great desperate need of my heart for Jesus, for his Holy Spirit. And during even these years of journey, if I saw an opportunity, I reached for it. And the Lord would immediately come in and remind me of the covenant I made with him to receive only from his hand what he would choose to give me. I want to tell you today I need Jesus.
I'm no longer like the blind crowd. I'm now like blind Bartimaeus. And the hours in my prayer closet are spent crying out to the Lord for mercy. Asking him if he will come and heal my sore heart. I come today very bluntly saying to you, my heart is sore. And frankly, I hope that your heart is sore. And if it's not, I'm asking Jesus to make it sore. Because if there is not a recognition of the soreness of our heart and the desperate need we have for Jesus... The finances are not going to flow for the kingdom of God. So there will be no FM radio. The salvation for this city will not be granted. Unless there are people somewhere with sore hearts who will cry out to God until he hears. And turns and gives us eyesight. You only receive eyesight by the anointing of God. And so we can be caught in our little petty arguments one with another. Arguing with husband, with wife, being being mad, feeling like we're being ill-treated and feeling like victims and we're, we're just mad. Or we're mad to be successful at whatever we think we need to be successful at. Like the blind crowd that thought they could see. There's got to come a recognition of the desperate need of our heart. We can't say America needs you and I don't need you. We can't say come do something to those people over there until he comes and does something to this person here. There's got to be a humbling of our hearts before God. How can I pray for that poor sinner when I need Jesus? I wouldn't deliver this sermon today if if you had a crowd of people you brought to Jesus and they were here walking righteous. Or if I had a crowd of people that, I mean, look, How many hours have I been on the air in Washington, D.C.? How many days? How many months? How many years? We've just finished four years on the air. Where's our harvest? There will be no harvest until there is something that changes in my heart and in your heart. I can't just walk along and say, oh, everything's fine. We're making progress. Oh, I can. I look at you all. Do you know what? If nothing happened at the National Prayer Chapel for the rest of my life, and I simply saw the testimony of what Jesus has done in you, I would say I would do it all over again, Jesus. It was all worth it. Because at least it provided you a place where you could touch the hearts of people and grow them up. And that's worth it. So please, for me, for success, I don't need anything. 
because no longer is success one of my goals. I'm not interested in being successful. I'm not interested in crowds. I'm not interested in applause. I'm not interested in money. I'm interested in a change in my heart and in your heart and in America. Believe me, if there's a change in our hearts and it begins to flow out into America, we won't have to worry about funding FM radio. That's not the issue we have to look at. We have to ask ourselves the question, can we see or are we blind? And if we're blind, do we know the blindness in which we walk? Here's Bartimaeus. All he can do, he knows this is his last chance to see. We're now at America's last chance to see. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now look, we can either say, Jesus, have mercy on me, or we can just be mad. Or we can just be numb. And we can just be happy with the world and what's happening in our business and where we're going and what's happening and fill our minds with the entertainment. Or we can recognize the blindness of our heart and the lack of power we have in bringing others to know Jesus. Many rebuked him telling him to be silent. You know, I am so privileged to once in a while get a text message or to get an email or somebody listening to the radio who will text me and say, Pastor, shut up and get off the radio. I love it. It makes me come back and yell even louder. How are you going to feel as you're rebuked for your continual prayer, continual crying out for God, continued repentance? People rebuke me on the air when I say things like, I don't have the fullness of the anointing of God on my life. I need the Holy Spirit baptism. And they'll say, Pastor, don't say that. Just operate in what you have until you get it. Are you kidding me? This is not fake it till you make it. This is the real deal. If you don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, those that God has assigned to you for salvation may very well be lost. I have a portion he's assigned me. I can't do it without his Holy Spirit. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, 
son of David, have mercy on me. You know, there are some days. I'm not the only one. Some of you have told me the same thing about your own heart. There are some days when I get up and I have to run to the prayer closet because my heart is so filled with despair and discouragement, I know I will have no power against the devil unless I get into that prayer closet and I get strengthened because my heart is so sore from fighting and fighting and fighting and not seeing the breakthrough. I tell you today, I need a breakthrough. And I think some of you are very conscious of the breakthrough you need in relationship with a husband or a wife, a relationship with family, money and finances for the work of God. You know all that we have is for the work of God. You need a breakthrough. And we have to get in that prayer closet and stay there until the breakthrough comes in our hearts so it can manifest in the flesh and in the outer world. This week I was there. And I kept crying out. And it was time to go on the radio. I didn't want to go on. And I began to say, Jesus, if you don't break through, I can't do the broadcast today. I'm going to tell them, play music all day. I'm not going to speak. And my phone beeped. And it was a message from a dear friend. And it was exactly what my heart needed to hear. It was like the voice of God just boom. I said, Lord, on that word, I can preach. And I ran in and just barely made it in time on Thursday. And if you listen to Thursday's message, you know the Holy Spirit moved in power. This week, in the desperation of my heart, he's spoken three times. Speaking gentle words of encouragement. Saying, I know, I know, trust me. Trust me. My vow with the Lord was that I would receive from his hand only that which he gave me. That I would not ask anyone else for resources. I would ask him. I am very conscious, almost to a point of pain, of not reaching out to take anything that I think I want. 
because I know I don't trust my heart. I trust Jesus. I am not the one that works out for my life what I want. He is the one who works out what he wants. I am not my own. I was bought at a price to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so all blind Bartimaeus can do is cry out. And all the blind crowd can do is enjoy the fun. So quickly that foolish crowd changes. The ones who are rebuking him. As Jesus stops and says call him. Now the crowd is fawning over him. One moment they're rebuking him and saying, shut up. The next moment they're fawning over him and saying, he's calling you. You cannot trust what the crowd will say to you. One moment they're rebuking you and the next moment they're fawning over you. They're blind. It's Jesus who sees. And in his mercy and in his grace... He says, call him. I cannot think of any greater privilege than to have Jesus Christ stop his agenda and say, I hear you, Ray. Come here. To be called by Jesus into his presence where he will speak with us. And some people say, but pastor, Jesus doesn't talk to me. Well, spend some time crying out, asking him to show you your blindness. He might talk to you then. Arrogant, full of yourself. Why would he take time to call you? You're going down the road. You don't need anything. Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, be encouraged, get up, he's calling for you. Now, blind Bartimaeus does something that seems totally innocuous to us because we can see. He throws off his robe. Do you understand what that robe was? That was his blanket to sleep in at night. He will never find that robe again if he cannot see. He is by faith now going to Jesus, casting off his comfort, his everything. He is saying, I'm going for Jesus. That's where we're going to have to be. And you're not going to have all of Jesus before you're required to cast off your robe and go to him. Oh, I'll serve Jesus after I make the money. I'll serve Jesus after I have all that I need, and then, Jesus, I'll follow you. Are you kidding me? You'll never follow Jesus that way. The people who say to me, 
I've got to make enough money so that I can then pastor. Really? Jesus isn't faithful, is he? You believe that? You'll never pastor. You'll never serve him this way. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I'm suspecting that people had to move out of his way or he would have just run right over them. Because he couldn't see him. He just knew he heard the sound of Jesus' voice and he was going to go for that sound. And if you were in his way, he was over top you. Jesus said to him, as though it were not obvious, what do you want me to do for you? Duh, I'm blind. No. The whole crowd was blind. Jesus wanted this man to admit his blindness. Until we're willing to admit our blindness, Jesus cannot heal us. As long as we are defensive and protesting, Jesus cannot touch us. What do you want for me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now notice where his way was. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You tell this man, all right, be healed. Now go your way. And he says, I'm on my way. I'm following you. I love that. The crowd, they all went on their way. As soon as they were a little past Jericho, they all turned back because they had dinner that night prepared. They had parties to go to. They had work to attend to. It would not surprise me if blind Bartimaeus followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. I'm surprised he's not named as being at the cross. Blind Bartimaeus knew what he needed. And he was willing to humble his heart and say, I need it. Now, please. America is going to be destroyed because they're blind. And the church is going to be destroyed because it's blind. There's going to have to come in all of us an awakening admission that we must have the Holy Spirit of God. We must have Jesus. And there is the requirement that we must begin to cry out because Jesus could have made a zero right to blind Bartimaeus. He could have stopped in front of him and said, Blind Bartimaeus, are you tired of being blind? How about if I just heal you today? Kazam, you're healed. Would have been great showbiz. 
Jesus was passing Bartimaeus by. If you don't want Jesus to pass you by, you're going to have to cry out like blind Bartimaeus until Jesus calls you, hears you, and comes to heal you. If you don't, he will pass you by. I don't want Jesus to pass the National Prayer Chapel by. That old song, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I've been weeping before the Lord with that song. Do not pass the National Prayer Chapel by. Do not pass me by. Lord, do not pass me by. Give me the courage to cry out until you come. And I will thank you and praise you and worship you. I know that all that is in my past is as nothing before me because I see that my country, my nation, my church is dying. It does me no good, Jesus, to know all this wonderful theology about salvation if there's no power. I ask, please, would you come and claim what you have called? Lord Jesus, do not pass America by. Lord, there was nothing in blind Bartimaeus to cause you to seek him out except his humble cry. I ask that you would bring that same humble cry to our hearts and to America. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.